Hey, this is Stu at Bitcoin Fi, the cross section between financial independence and crypto. And I wanted to share one of my youngest memories when I was a kid. I think I was four or five. And I'm standing in the hallway looking into my kitchen where my dad is cutting up a credit card over a trash can while my mom is crying and they're having another money fight. And it really didn't matter that my dad cut up that credit card because my mom had memorized the 16-digit credit card number along with the expiration date and the security code, and she would still spend on it. And that's what would happen through my parents' marriage is my mom would run up some debt, she'd spend money, there was usually nothing to show for it, and then my dad would spend months or years paying that debt back off while he's trying to make a good living for our family. Now, he's uh, he was a middle-class engineer. He made plenty of money for where we lived and what we were doing. But uh, basically, that's what would happen through their whole marriage and eventually would end in divorce after 19 years. So the reason why I start out with this story is if you've been listening for a little while, you probably have this impression that, oh yeah, Stu is just a big finance nerd, and that's what he likes to talk about. But I really want to give you the backstory for why I am that way, and also let you know just how much I care, (laughs) how much I care about other people's finances. And I struggled with the title of this episode. Originally, the thought came to me that I would call it, quote, I care more about your money than you do, end quote. But that sounds too judgy and too egotistical and whatever else. But honestly, I think it's true in some cases that I do care more about other people's money than they do. (laughs) But I digress. I'm not saying that you don't value that. That's going too far in most cases. Another friend suggested When Money Gets Personal as a title. And I came up with this title myself. It's a little bit clickbaity with the title Death, Divorce, and Breast Implants. And it's kind of a crazy story, and I'm going to get to the rest of it after this. But I did have my dad listen to this recording before I casted out this pod, and he can verify the trueness, and obviously it's my subjective take on this sequence of events. But the point is, is that I've seen some of the worst that can happen from finances being out of control. And there's a lot of range between healthy and perfect finances to unhealthy finance and especially how bad it got in my household. You might not ever experience that. You might not be anywhere close to it, but you still might have a little bit of dysfunction. And so I am a hyper optimizer. I am not perfect by any means, but I have done very well and avoided a ton of mistakes when it comes to finance. So I have not lived them myself personally. I was never a poor college student. I was never a poor newlywed couple. Like, we've always had a good amount of money. And I fully recognize that I have had every opportunity from going to college and being educated and and the neighborhood I grew up in and the schools I went to and all that stuff. I know that I've had every opportunity, every advantage, you could say. And I guess the one thing I would say, and this is going to get a little bit scriptural, but There's this saying that the light can comprehend the darkness, but the darkness can comprehend the light. Like if you have a flashlight, you can see in the dark. But if you you don't, then you can't see anything. And what I'm saying is 
Like, I don't need to go through those things to know that they are bad decisions, you could say. I don't have to make money mistakes to know what they are. But I definitely have made some, and I'd be happy to share those on another podcast one day. But I'm just saying, like, I'm not one of those financial bloggers or podcasters that has made every mistake in the book, and they're here to teach you what they did wrong and how to avoid that. I am not that guy. I'm kind of the guy that's always done really well, and I'm going to help you do well too. But anyway, it just seems a lot more common that you have that other type that was really bad with money, made a bunch of mistakes, and then got good, and now they teach about it. I'm not that guy. I'm a little bit different that way. But I do care really deeply about people being really successful with their finances and building up financial freedom in their lives. So statistically speaking, most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and they cannot cover a $400 emergency on any given month. They do not have the space in their budget to handle that kind of thing. And I think a lot more people could. And obviously you have to start somewhere and you have to learn. And I want to be a resource for people. But, you know, just knowing the statistics that so many people are struggling and deep in debt and not investing for their future. That's why I started this podcast is to get the word out. And, you know, it does pain me when I see people driving brand new cars that are losing half their value immediately. Except maybe not in this crazy time with inflation. But, you know, I get frustrated with, um, for example, I have a neighbor that gets Uber Eats every single night and it drives me crazy because I've done the math and I know that $27 a day of spending is $10,000 a year. And that's what they're probably spending for two people that eat Uber Eats every single night. And they could be maxing out two Roth IRAs instead. And I'm not trying to sound super judgmental or to indicate that people don't care about their money. This is just what I see. These are just my observations. So hopefully that kind of makes sense for where I'm coming from. And one of the main ideas is that you should spend money on what you value and cut hard on what you don't value. If people care a lot about eating out like a foodie, that's fine. Anyway, there's so many ways that you could save money. And in, and I just really want you to get started with investing if you haven't yet with the 401k, with a match, with a Roth IRA, just with any account really. If you haven't started investing, I want you to be investing. And you might be hyper-focused on paying down debt. I think you should be hyper-focused on investing even a little bit, even 1% of your income. So here's one little thought exercise where I want you to think about your life and write out every year that you've worked. So for me, I think I've worked from 2007, 2006, up into the year 2022. And I listed out each year, and it was hard to remember some of the years, but I wrote down about how much money I made that year. And obviously, it was a lot easier to know how much money I made, particularly the last seven years or so since I really started my career post-college. But I did the math on how much money I made, and I totaled it all up, and it was over $600,000. And I didn't even count how much money my wife has made, but um, I probably should, and that would maybe put us up over seven dollars or $800,000. But just to put this in perspective, if you make $50,000 a year, and you've been doing whatever job you've had for 10 years, that's a half a million dollars already. After 20 years, it's, it's a million. And so it adds up pretty quick. You think over a 40-year career, just at a static $50,000, which is the average household income, roughly, 
that's uh, two million dollars that you're gonna make and I just want you to think like where is all that money at the end of your life at the end of your career of making two million dollars hopefully or maybe more where is that how much of it do you still have in your possession so really the question is who are you making rich yourself or Jeff Bezos at Amazon or the CEO of Starbucks or wherever you like to shop and and give your money away right obviously these people have successful businesses that provide value but are you giving all your money to Nike to Costco to Toyota I want you to make yourself wealthy not other people I want you to keep some for yourself this is why people talk about pay yourself first I want you to take care of your money because it is a representation of your time and it's a representation of your freedom. And that's why I care so deeply is because you should have self-respect. But if you spend all your money, you're not respecting yourself. If you don't pay yourself first, you're not respecting yourself. You're literally spending all your time making other people rich because you're not keeping any for yourself. So that's what I'm here to do and teach is like how you can start respecting yourself, respecting your time, respecting your freedom because I want you to be free. And that's what this is all about. So as I get into some more of the stories that I'm going to share, there's a lot of complicated emotions. And it's going to sound like my mom is the villain. And I don't know if I am going to succeed in this, but I'm going to turn her into a hero as much as I can. But basically, I just want to, I just want you to know where I'm coming from because I've felt and I've seen, I've been in bad financial situations growing up. I've seen it with my parents, and that's really where I learned. So I think it's going to be valuable to the listeners of this podcast to know the backstory. So I already mentioned the credit card story when I was a kid, and I didn't even know what a credit card was back then, and how my parents were married for 19 years before my dad got divorced, and really it was money issues for him. And I'll just say a lot of my childhood was dominated by consumerism. And not only that, but I kind of feel like there was a pretty constant tension in my home. My parents did not show much affection for each other. Sometimes it seemed like they didn't really like each other that much. I didn't see them holding hands very often like I would see other parents. I'm not talking over-the-top PDA. I'm just saying normal hugs and kisses and hand-holding. But, uh... That's one observation that I had growing up, and at the same time, I had so many Legos, an insane amount of Legos, all the Legos a kid could ever want, and I had these Beast War toys that was a show in the 90s, and I loved those things. You know, I had Nintendo 64, lots of games there, I had Xbox, and a lot of my friends would love to come to my house and play my video games and play with my Legos because I had everything. And I do remember as a kid that I was kind of apathetic about it. And I even probably found it overwhelming from a young age to have so many things and get so many presents all the time at Christmas and at birthdays. But when I was about 14, my parents sat me and my sister down and explained they were getting a divorce. And I was super sad. I thought my life was over. I just kind of moped around for about two weeks. And what I realized is that my life hadn't changed that much. It really wasn't that different. My dad was about three blocks away. I could go see him any time that I wanted. Um, 
there were still fights over custody and, and the divorce was pretty ugly. But on a day-to-day basis, my life wasn't all that different. We lived in a low-cost of living area and my dad made a good living and he was supposed to pay child support and help my mom out. And according to my dad, she had plenty to live off of. Like it wasn't going to be a plush. It was enough to live off of and have no problems. But you had to be smart. You had to be careful with with the money that she was going to get. And she was working too. But according to my dad, my mom spent $60,000 in the first four months after the divorce. So she was spending big. I mean, I've never spent $60,000 in an entire year. I think historically we have lived off between $35,000 to $50,000 a year. But this is where things get a little crazy because I had summer jobs, mowing lawns, cleaning up construction sites, and I had saved my birthday money and different stuff like that. So I had a bank account with around $3,000 that was a joint account with my parents. My sister also had an account, and she was younger than I was, but a super good saver. She had saved up like $1,000. And at one point, collectively, our accounts were emptied for a sum of almost $4,000. And in this time period, my mom took a few days off of work, and supposedly she had stolen our money to get breast implants And from my understanding, she's always denied that. And as a kid, I wasn't like aware to notice that type of thing. But I guess it was an investment in some type of way because I think she was trying to attract a boyfriend and apparently did. And uh, he paid for certain things. And uh, honestly, that was kind of horrible. I uh, did not appreciate that guy. It was not a good time. But it did come to a point where my sister and I were writing out a letter to threatened my mom that we would take her to court if we didn't get our money back. And within a few days, we did get our money back. And I'm not sure if that came from the boyfriend or what, but it was there again. So it was crazy just to be robbed by my mom, especially for that type of thing. And I think she made it sound like, oh, I just was borrowing it and I was going to return it. But she didn't tell us. And that's a lot of money. And that's all the money I had pretty much, you know, as a kid. So it was just a very weird experience to be defrauded by my own mother. And fast forward a few months or maybe a year, not sure on the timeline exactly, but I was in high school. I was in the third hour right before lunch, and my dad had texted me, and he says, your mom didn't go to work today. You should stop by and check on her at lunch and see if she's okay. And I did. I took a friend with me, and it was that day that I found out that my mother had died. And it appears to have been a suicide or an accidental overdose. And I don't know if there's a conclusive answer one way or the other. But at least in my mind, it appears that she had taken her life. And obviously the divorce and all the struggles with money that she was having was a big factor. Along with all of the other strained relationships that come with the divorce and even even me. And I do want to make a, a serious note that There were some mental health issues involved with my mom that I don't know much about, but I do know that she seemed to have obsessive compulsive disorder, and I've heard it said by my dad before that one month our house would be super clean, the next month it'd be messy, and we'd be broke. So I don't know what was going on there, but there was some other stuff, um, and I'm not really going to comment on that because I just simply don't know everything that she was dealing with, but obviously there was probably some depression and just all sorts of stuff going on there. 
so there were all these factors of mental health issues, um, strained relationships, money issues, all bubbling up to the surface to end this way. And I can't go into much more detail than that because I was not in a good spot relationship-wise with either of my parents at that time. So a lot of complicated feelings because my mom annoyed me all the time. I could hardly stand her. I could also hardly stand my dad because I was 16, so what do you expect? But my mom was seemingly the cause of a lot of problems with money and with the divorce, and so obviously I was sad, but in a way my life got way easier just not having her around to mess things up again, not having her around to rob me. Not having her around made some things easier, as hard as that is to say. It's definitely true. And my dad also got this life insurance payout and was able to move into a better house. So my sister and I moved in full time. But like I said, I didn't get along with him very well. And I would pretty much spend as much time as possible at friends' homes. Now this part, I don't know exactly how it works, but my dad got social security money to kind of help meet the needs of us kids. If one of the parents dies, apparently that's part of social security. And the money that he was getting was for my dad to spend however he saw best, but he almost gave it to us as an allowance, at least a portion of it, and let us start to manage that money as we were in middle and high school. And he'd let us use that money and budget that money for gas, for dates, for whatever activities we were doing, and whatever we wanted to buy. So he would start to put that responsibility on us, like we have a certain amount of money for that week, and we need to make it last for that week. But I also had my little job at the pharmacy delivering drugs, so I was able to save up money that way too. Now another crazy part that happened was part of the life insurance was written so that when I was 18, I got a $50,000 payout. And... If you were 18 and had $50,000 cash, what would you do with it? I thought about buying a brand new Toyota Tacoma, but I did not. I continued to stick with my 1991 Toyota pickup and basically be frugal. And skipping ahead a little bit, as I graduated high school with this money and I was working, my dad got me into investing and he had me start a Roth IRA. And I maxed that out in 2009 and in 2010, which, as you know, is pretty much the bottom of the financial crisis and one of the bigger recessions that we've had. And he would put me into this fund. It was called SPY or SPY, Spider. It's an index fund for the S&P 500, which is basically the 500 largest companies in America across all the different types of lines of business you can have from energy to utilities to retail and technology. So it's very diversified and it's the fund that Warren Buffett thinks that you should buy. If you don't know anything about stocks, just buy that because it's the best stocks across every industry in America. But he also directed me to start choosing some stocks of my own and do my own research and try and see what I could figure out. And so I picked some solar stocks, I picked some 3D printing stocks because I thought 3D printing would revolutionize a lot of stuff and maybe it has but those stocks did not reflect that. And I think solar stocks just because Obama was in the White House back then and so we thought oh all this solar stuff is going to get cheaper and like more government incentives for this. And basically the 3D printer stocks and the solar stocks did not do so well but SPY did great for me. 
So I did learn that lesson and I quit picking individual stocks and I pretty much shifted to passively invest with index funds, mostly through Vanguard mutual funds or ETFs. And I'm happy to answer questions on that if anyone wants to get into that type of stuff. And I'll just say that it is what Warren Buffett recommends and he's probably the most famous stock picker in America. So anyway, that kind of sparked my interest in investing. And as I went to college, I kept working on my Roth IRA. And I would read on Yahoo Finance for about two hours a day, learning from all these great investors, these different quotes, and, and just trying to study and understand the stock market. And that led me into my first job out of college where I learned about Mr. Money Mustache and something called the FIRE movement. FIRE stands for Financial Independence and Retire Early. I don't really care about retiring early. I plan to always work and to be productive and to do something. But I did care a lot about financial independence because it gives you that choice and that freedom to do what you want. So anyway, I hope you find that interesting. I hope it's not too much of an overshare, but rather will give you some perspective on what I've been through and what I've seen and how bad things can get when spending is out of control in a household, how dysfunctional finances can get when you don't have that discipline or that system, you have no plan. I want you to know that I've seen that. I've seen some of the issues associated with poor mental health and not getting those addressed. And, you know, I've gone to counseling myself and benefited from that at different times. But anyway, if you have any of that in your life, I just want you to kind of know that you're heard, that you're seen. I've dealt with that. I've experienced that. And I guess in a way, um, I've tried to make the most of that opportunity with the life insurance money that I was given. Obviously, it was a huge advantage for me to have that money, to be able to graduate college debt-free, and to be able to start investing at the bottom of the last recession. And I don't discount how fortunate I am for that. And I see that seed money, that initial $50,000 I started out with from my mom's life insurance, that I need to be a good steward of that money, that by putting that money to work, by investing that money, by growing that money, I am respecting my mother, and anyway, I, I also have a lot of respect for my own money. I guess going back to how I had started, this is why I care so much, is I want to see other people succeed with their money. You know, my dad, my sister, and I have all done really well. We've been able to thrive from a very tough and difficult situation. I think there's a lot of lessons in my story. I don't know if I touched on all of them, and I'm just glad to say that we all came out for the better from a horrible situation. And that's all you really can do, no matter where you are, is we've all been dealt a certain hand, and if I can ever help anyone from a tough financial situation, or any bad situation, I'd be happy to do so. And uh, I guess it's not really a fair question to ask whether I would take the money or have my mom back. I think the answer there is obvious, but the main point is just that given the cards I've been dealt with, I think I've made the most of it, and that's all you can do, because... Things are going to happen in your life, and you're going to have to make choices, and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make some good choices, some bad choices. Other people's choices are going to affect you, but it's how you deal with it. It's what you're going to do with the cards you've been dealt. And there's a quote I've been pondering. I can't remember who said it exactly, but I heard it from Benjamin Hardy, and he said that what you have is what you're committed to. Like the amount of money you have right now, is the amount of money that you are committed to have. If you only have a thousand bucks to your name, 
that is what you're committed to in your lifestyle. If you are a millionaire, that's because you committed to be a millionaire. You committed to that lifestyle. I know that there's luck involved depending on which country you're born in, which state, and which neighborhood you're born in. Um, even race and demographics, right, is a huge factor in certain circumstances. There's uh, different educational opportunities. There's so many factors. I know that's that's all there. You just have to start from where you are, though, and just realize that there is opportunity everywhere, and I will want to bring that opportunity to you. Uh, so let me know if I can help you. Schedule time on my Calendly. Leave me a voicemail or an email. Let me know how I can help you and what questions you have. And also, I wanted to include a resource for suicide prevention. There's a national hotline that I will put in the show notes, and I would recommend that you save that number in your phone so that you have it, and it's a small step. You'll never know if it comes in handy one day, but you don't want to be looking for it in the moment that you would need it, whether it's for you or for someone else, so just save that number in your phone. And also, get yourself some free Bitcoin. It's the least that I can do. All you have to do is set up an account with either Swan Bitcoin, uh, Strike, or Choice IRA, and just by opening up those accounts, you'll get some. It's a small start, but let me know what I can do to make financial independence a reality for you. And with that, remember that financial independence is doable.